Welcome to Queering Left, a podcast from Crossroads Fund. I'm Emmanuel Garcia. And I'm Jean Crocker, and we are the hosts of Queering Left. Crossroads Fund is a public foundation in Chicago. We provide funding to community organizations, activists, and movements who are working for racial, social, and economic justice. For more information, please visit our website, crossroadsfund.org. Our guests on this episode of Queering Left are activists Paige May and Debbie Southern. Our focus with them will be their work in organizing with young people, particularly No Cop Academy. The No Cop Academy campaign is a youth-led effort supported by community organizations across Chicago that want to see $95 million invested in communities rather than in a new police training academy on the west side. Paige May is an activist, organizer, and co-founder of Asada's Daughters, which creates a space where Black youth can learn political education from Black women and gender non-conforming people. Debbie is the co-founder of the city's Black and Pink chapter and is a founding member of We Are Dissenters, a new group activating students towards anti-militarism and anti-war organizing on college campuses. Paige and Debbie talk about the limitations of representation, how identity is co-opted and commercialized, and the relationship of prison abolition and queer politics. Hello, my name is Paige May. I am a black queer woman from rural Vermont. I'm a youth organizer, abolitionist. Those are my key things, my keywords of my search. <laughs> my name's Debbie. I am queer, uh, white, gender, non-conforming, really just not that into gender. Just turned 30, so starting to feel this new decade. Uh, also identify at an abolitionist and that's core to kind of who I am and how I move through the world. I've recently become more of a youth organizer and um, yeah, excited to be here talking with y'all for sure. Wow, lots to celebrate. Um, and kind of in that vein a little bit, um, thinking of, you know, this podcast Queering Left and the genesis of thinking around um, bringing these voices together was to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And so I'm just curious to know how you celebrated Pride Month this month and Stonewall, if at all. It rained. <laughs> <laughs> it rained, and I remember being like, take that, Lori Lightfoot. Um, we were very glad that, that she got rained on as the Grand Marshal. Yeah. <clears throat> I think in in past years, Pride has been an important sort of flashpoint and sort of site to contest like what is queer struggle, right? I think um, in a lot of ways, like these days, I don't engage with pride as much because it feels like uh, in your face, corporate, commodified, um, strange uh, celebration that uh, doesn't feel connected to the history, right, of a police riot led by trans women of color that then the first pride was um, to go to a police station where members of the Black Panther were being held, right? But uh, so I think in, in past years, right, and 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 we like also inherited this from Queer to the Left and, and ACT UP and other sort of queer organizers who for 
the past couple of decades have really said, no, like we want to reclaim this. We want to own this history. Um, I think in, in 2015, right, uh, b- both of us were a part of and Paige helped organize and lead this this action called Blackout Pride that really stopped um, the Pride Parade in Chicago in order to um, take time and bring attention to sort of what this march is supposed to be about and, and to literally stop for at least 17 minutes, I think it was, um, the sort of steady stream of, of commodification that it kept happening. I don't know if you want to jump in and tell more of where we stopped and why. But. Yeah, and that was so long ago. But it, I remember that was the first action that I had ever sort of been like what would be considered a tactical coordinator, right, uh, where folks were getting arrested. And it we'd been planning it for weeks, and the Supreme Court – passed the like lifted the ban on marriage or whatever um and people were a lot of outside folks i remember telling me don't do this like you're this is not the time to protest at 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 pride um and i thought about it talked to folks about it and we were all like no this is the exact time it's even more important now right that we push the definition and our imagination of what we're demanding for things that are beyond marriage and actually look at like how are people being impacted right and and what are people what are our lives what what is getting in the way and we ended up stopping at the center on halstead and calling out the particularly like through policing the violence that that center participates in um for for black and brown trans and queer folks that try to enter and, and utilize its services and end up meeting a, a wall of criminalization, right? And uh, yeah, and we held it for 17 minutes and uh, had a speech that talked about um, all of the many ways that like th- that that queer struggle looks like housing access, right? Um, that there's so many other things that other than just marriage, right, that, that we need. One way that I um, think about this year in particular in the way that people have talked about it is that pride given the 50th anniversary of stonewall that we have our our first black lesbian mayor uh lori lightfoot and people were like super excited and she was like the grand marshal um and it just to me it was interesting that you brought up that it rained you know because i was at home (laughs) celebrating my own way and yeah i'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on like this representation, right, that we have um, as people of color, as queer people. Yeah, I mean, I think what I saw a lot of this pride, and I want to acknowledge, like, like, I did appreciate that it was the 50th and wanted to, and tried to ground myself in that and appreciate that. Um, and that was not missed. Um, but it also wasn't what I saw being celebrated when I, everywhere I looked, <laughs> including into my phone, right? It was like rainbow flags everywhere, right? Um, and I think that uh, one of the things about the commodification of a thing right, is it has to be comfortable. It has to be desirable. And it's not comfortable to, to know that 17 black trans women have been murdered this year, right? That's not comfortable. And so that's not a part of what is being put in front of us and what is for sale. And I think that's the thing is like that to me wasn't Stonewall. That was the evolution of the commodification of a thing, right? And I, I understand why folks want to go there. I understand how important it can be and how beautiful it can be to feel seen. Um, but there's a difference between, uh, or a thing being visible and like 
our lives being visible and the reality is that especially i remember it, like it's bringing up the pro the the shutdown that we did in 2015 i remember people what they saw was um a, a black it looked like a mostly black um delegation or like troop in this parade we had that we had gotten in through and i won't say on this how we made it into the parade officially but we were in the parade and we all have black shirts on and um the, the non-black folks were kind of like more in the back so it looked and so people are chanting black lives matter and everyone's they see us and they get all excited everyone's like freaking out like oh my god the black and everyone's cool with it but then then we do what black lives matter does and people lot like lost their minds like throwing stuff spitting on us hit like trying to hit people um, and I think like that's that's right. Like people, Black Lives Matter has is a thing. It's a T-shirt. As a T-shirt, we're cool with it, right? As like a stamp that you can put on. Black Lives Matters is here, but like, oh, but we don't want your protest. <laughs> we don't want the the actual struggle, right? Um, and I didn't see the struggle in right in this, right? And and Lori Lightfoot doesn't to me does not represent right. She she is of the police. She doesn't represent the resistance that's there. Um, and so I, I, I think there's a much smoother way to talk about all of this, but I, representation is very complicated, right? Like uh, I'm thinking about TV shows like Pose that are so important, right? And in part because of the, the, the what having that representation, but also because they complicate our stories of what it means to be alive and a human and a family, right? Um, and uh, yeah, and, and that we don't want to lose that, like that storytelling and being a part of the stories of what it means to exist that makes a fuller story. Um, and Think everything's owned by multi-billionaire people, like, and it, it ultimately it's about people making people comfortable. And we need much, 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 much more leaning into what makes us uncomfortable if we're going to actually get freer, um, and not just have like more and more and more rainbows around the table. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting, um, always attention right around. You know, when I was in ACT UP, we used to, you know, we published a couple of anonymous broadsides which I guess it makes them not anonymous anymore, <laughs> but um, where, you know, we'd say burn the ribbon or, you know, that kind of uh, burn the, the, the pink ri or the red ribbon and that whole kind of thing. Because the red ribbons, you know, everybody's wearing them at every single thing to signify that they supported people with AIDS. So there was this comfort zone in the commodification. I think it's a complicated thing. And one of the things my, my friend Debbie Gould wrote a book um, about the AIDS movement and um, – one of the things that she she sort of struggles or tackles in there is this idea of people being embarrassed by putting themselves out there and and doing things that stop traffic or um, you know so they're down with well it's really great that people are out there yelling and people are fighting for us but could you not yell so loud and could you not you know and in act up we were sort of embraced around taking those risks and then we were rejected the next day for taking those risks by people within the community. Could you talk a little bit more about that and also maybe as it relates to the um, the police, uh, the No Cop Academy stuff as well? Yeah, I mean, we're constantly told that, 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 there, that, uh, that there's a right way to fight for liberation, right? Um, and that usually, and that, that, if you're that it's the quieter way right and 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 that especially i th i think I, I strongly suspect and in my experience have felt like americans especially really want there to be a process right like that's that's sort of the myth of of how we do things is that there that at the end of the day and even the way we tell history that yes things can get messed up at the at the end of the day 
the law and the government will do the right thing, right? And that's how we tell the story of Martin Luther King is that he just had to convince, right, um, and re get pa enough power to influence the white leadership, right, and that eventually did the right thing and passed these laws and now racism isn't here anymore. And that's just not true. <laughs> like, that's just not how things have happened and um, at all. Um, and... Uh, the reality is that it's really complicated how we get free, but that you ha that th there has to be a disruption and a and a a defiance, right? That there, no matter what, there is there are many many different tactics and many different strategies and many many different roles that we need people to play, right? In so so many, but apps at, at minimum you have to have a, a defiance, right? And a rejection of it and a, and a saying of no, and that that it, you you have to have like legal pushes and um, you have to have people that are doing it inside of schools. You have to have people that are doing it at every level. But if you do not have it at the level of the street and at the level of the saying no, you're not going to get there, right? Um, and that oftentimes those those folks, it's that, that they help to normalize or, or make seem more centric or legitimate, quote, air quotes are being used, uh, the folks that are maybe more in the middle, right? But that you have to push left, right? And to me, that's a huge part of how I understand my queerness is that it's it's ab it's about this constant. It's an acknowledgement of of where society wants you to be, right? And the expectations, right? And the quote unquote rules that instead of fighting to be included in that box, I'm saying fuck that box. Like no one's life should be dependent on whether or not they can they are accepted into this box. Um, yeah. And, and I think that what's significant, too, is that there are some people who just but that that especially when you're talking about like gender politics and stuff that there is right, like a way of just like existing that people are saying is not right. Right. You know, and and I um, and and that's powerful. Right. And that that is a form of saying no and rejecting. Right. And um, and pushing past what is being told we're supposed to do or how we're going to actually get free. And so you see this right with in the example of like even no cop, right, which is not an explicitly queer at all queer campaign. But ha uh, you, you have this moment. I remember where like we were trying to do a train takeover and we get there and the cops are like, no, are already there. And they're like, you can't do this. And that, you know, if y'all have an issue, you need to take it to City Hall and, and testify there. And then we go to City Hall, I think the next day, maybe a couple of days after that, we get there and they're all like, this is not how you do this. If you want to, you know, make a point, you got to go out there and take it, you know, you got to build power. And, and I was like, literally, like, stop telling us what to do. We're doing it right. Because everyone, you know, you're onto something when people start telling you you're doing it wrong. That's how you know you're, <laughs> you're actually making something. <laughs> totally. Totally. And I think, to go back to your question of um, Lightfoot and this question of representation right now, I do actually think we have to be really hyper vigilant right now that as like grassroots movements in Chicago, like we have each other's backs in remembering that dissent and disruption and protest are, they're never about the personality in charge. It's actually that we see the source of our power as as in each other, right? Elected officials have to do what what they feel ac accountable to, right? It's not just that we do everything all day long so we can get the right people in office and then we're done. We tried that. We thought that's what we did with Obama and then, oops, right? The wars didn't end, right? Even though, like, so much anti-war sentiment got swept up into his election campaign. And I think uh, we're in a really interesting moment where for the last eight years, our opposition was clear. It was it was Rom and Ronner, two bad white guys. And right now we have to sort of shift our understanding of 
of the power structure that it isn't actually about a personality. It's about a system and the system is always adapting to make it harder to fight. We have some careful but important work to do as young queer organizers with a clear um, racial politic uh, to, to, to make sure that we don't fall for the trap of good advocates but bad activists, right? Or if we, pl- if we just play by the rules and wait and turn and ask for permission, then we'll get things because Lightfoot had 75% of the vote. No, we're still going to be out here. I, I want to say something about, I want to ask something about humor um, because, um, you know, I was involved in a lot of anti-imperialist movements and I was never involved in a movement that was as humorous as ACT UP and, you know, the uh, trying to bring some sense of queerness and some sense of performance and art and I felt when I was watching some of the actions that uh, were being done with the aldermanic candidates um, that I felt that again, you know, I felt this sense of, um, oh, this is really playful. And at the same time, it's really serious. And at the same time, it's it's got multiple messages to it. So could you talk about that that campaign and, and, and some of that work you guys were doing around some of the queer aldermanic um, candidates? This was officially as individuals and not at all affiliated with our organizations. Yeah, but I think so we'd been right in the grind of No Cop Academy, trying to fight this Cop Academy from being built on the West Side for about a year and a few months now. And remember, when we started this campaign, we thought it would be a few months. We were like, this will be a great way to teach young people about what a campaign is. We had no idea what the city's actual process was for any of this. It was it was actually in part because Chance saw our first train takeover that Asadas was doing with young folks, retweeted it, and then came and testified at city council that the campaign got so big so fast. And so so now we're just in it. And we've been going full paced, like full steam ahead for over a year, acting every day like we're in a rapid response campaign. And the elections are a week away now. And mind you, we on our own outside of No Cop tried to figure out how to engage with some of the electoral stuff. Because obviously this became an electoral issue, which again, we never expected. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks uh, on their own were throwing down for different, for different campaigns or trying to run little anti-campaigns. You know, we were out here being like, Emma Mitz hates youth, loves cops. Turns out that's not nearly as uh, <laughs> inspiring for getting people to go to voting stations as like democratic socialists running for office and revving up the engines. But anyways, it was about a week out and we were like, you know, what? we're just like so exhausted. And we realized so many of us are so queer. And even though like a lot of the campaign feels pretty queer because of how we do disruption and how we refuse to play into respectability, We haven't done anything that explicitly just lets us feel like flaming homos and lets us call out these like like these these queer alder people who are on the wrong side of this. And it's bullshit. So, yeah, we just kind of honor as part of this, the kind of stop Lightfoot stuff that was happening again. It wasn't through any particular organization. It was just a bunch of us who know each other and were fed up and also, I think, needed a release for some energy in a way that still felt targeted, we decided to go after Kappelman, Deb Mel, 
and Ray Lopez uh, to just say, hey, you're on the wrong side. Um, some amazing artists made like T-shirts. So it was Queers Against Kappelman, <laughs> Dykes Against Deb Mel. And then uh, I-, I personally just wanted it to say Dykes Against Deb and then wear it myself. <laughs> I thought that would be very awesome. Uh, and then uh, Gaze Against Lopez. And then, of course, as soon as we got to Kaplan's office, like we didn't get inside of any other offices because they locked the doors. But we got into Kaplan's, glitter everywhere, stickers everywhere. We just we had there wasn't really a plan either. We were just like, we're gonna yell a lot and we're gonna go find you. Where are you? Why isn't there anyone in here? And then eventually they you know call the cops on us, so we leave slowly, but still are gonna just like make a mess. And I still remember Tressa Fear. But she goes, why aren't you going after Tunny? And I was like, good point. Tunny, too. He is also on the wrong side of this. And part of it, right, was like, I don't know. He hadn't been as vocally against. Like, we had been putting, you know, Kappelman was on a certain committee. Mel was in a tough race. Lopez was also, like, in a ward where we had a lot of his constituents, right? Um but I just thought it was pretty hilarious that even the opposition was like, but what about that gay? Yes, them too. We're, <laughs> we're coming for all of you, biding his time. Um, and, and it was interesting, too, because Deb Mel then right after that at the next city council meeting, you would think, right, when we, like, throw glitter at you and tell you you're a bad gay, that that would alienate someone, right? That's what we're always told is disruption doesn't work. She literally came running to us and was like, hey, you guys, you guys, hey, good to see you. I think there's a misunderstanding. I'm I'm with you guys, right? Uh, and then, of course, our our young folks are like, bye. But, I, you know, we talk for a second. And then <laughs> she did end up voting with us, right? She did, She was scared about our election. It was lots of other things. It was the glitter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just say that to say, like, mm. that, that not being disruptive and in your face and actually disrespectful doesn't actually mean you get people on your side. Like pe- like people move when they feel confronted and threatened, not when they feel pandered to. Like it, mm-hmm. it, I was actually very surprised. I thought we were going to lose them all even worse. I think a lot of effort is made to pull in people um, into things that seek to like convince others of our humanity and of our worthiness, right? And that we belong in the box again, right? And that and I think, right, like, the, an organizing and protest has a lot of, like, stereotypes or whatever, connotations in people's heads, one of which is that you're sort of angry and ineffective or whatever, right? And I find over and over and over again something so transformative and powerful and enticing more than anything else where when you let go of how do I show them my humanity, how do, which usually means, like, respectability, how do I show them? that they should want me and that I'm good enough. Or da, 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 da. Uh, and when you let that go, what you come up with can be way more powerful. And for a lot of people, I think especially black people, especially queer people, especially black queer people, black young people who are, you as a young black person in Chicago are not a person, like you're, you're not given any, you're just told what to do. You're told when you can go to the bathroom, how long, like, you're so managed 
I think people, it makes it really hard. I meet a lot of young folks who are very skeptical of joining the thing because they're so used to adults coming and being like, oh, I have a program that will help you get better. You know, you'll get a career. And they know that's bullshit. They know that the world is not fair. They know that, yeah, but the chances are things are not going to be much better, right? Um, and, and to let that go and to just, to most people are pissed. Most people are really angry. Um, and most people are dealing with like way more than they should have to. And this has been going on for a very, very long time. And yet in spite of that, we managed to find joy and connection and family and love. And when you let, when you can bring that energy into your protest, right? When it's not about how do we show them? How do we da da da? You convince them by, show, by building power, right? Um, and that's real. It's 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 a, it's polarizing and and creating a, a threat, right? And it terrifies people to see folks that have let go of this myth that if you just do this enough, if you just dress differently, talk differently, act differently, walk differently, listen to music, da, 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 that you will make it'll be okay. And when you let that go, I think you find way bolder, more creative actions that are not only more effective at scaring your targets like the Deb Mel's, but also at they make people feel more human, right? And you can see that and you can feel that even if you aren't there, right? And it does something. I, I all the time think about like what it would have meant, meant for me if I had been 12 and seen these things happening, what, how differently that would have made me feel, right? It's, it's not the same. All I saw growing up was MLK with the, his fist in the air and the microphone below. And those are the only images of black power that I was given. And that's not the same as seeing young black people throwing glitter and screaming and getting kicked out and being like, you know, like flipping off the CPD and all this stuff. Like those are my, those are the images that I think help to shake things a lot. Even if you don't win the quote unquote, the, the campaign or the demand, they shift something in a huge way. Talking a little bit about that shift and uh, the work that No Cop Academy has done and we're working with black youth, um, how do you understand an organizing victory? Like when you don't have, I know like in, in the case of the personal stuff uh, that was outside of No Cop Academy with the, the one out of two, right? Um, how do you even, you know, support young people in thinking about a victory in the absence of one? In Asadas, we define power as the ability to control circumstances or to make things happen. And so are we, do we have more power than when we started, right? Are we, do, maybe you have more people, right? And more, and, and they're, or, and, that are organized. If the goal, if Ron wants to make the Cop Academy get built and he wants it done by the end of 2018, we didn't let that happen. That means we challenged his power, right? We did. We, he lost power and because of the power that we built. He couldn't get, he could not make things happen the way that he had wanted them to happen. He could not control all the circumstances. And so I think there's a lot of different ways that we can tear down, you know, quote unquote, their power. There are a lot of ways we can build up new power that challenges those things that can look like people. A lot of the controlling of circumstances that's required means that you go along with it. You think it's normal. So that's why moments where people are like, this is not OK. This is not normal or acceptable. Right. That's important. That helps shift power. That's a win. Right. If you have more people that have that understand campaigns and how they work, what are, what is the power of, if you are a person or if you and your friends see an injustice or, or have a thing right what are the things that you can do to challenge it right what uh what can you make happen and if more people have a better understanding of their options it's that to me is a, is a win i love that response i mean and i think we're still asking this question right are you closer to the next fight when you finish this one right i think 
when I think about No Cop Academy and when we have done reflection and we've talked about what did we win, right? I think in addition to to all the things externally, it's it's what what did the experience mean for the people involved too is really important. And that like uh, there are so many young people who got a taste of what's possible and can take that with them now to every other um, every other space that they go to, every other school that they're in, every other injustice that they encounter. Like, like Paige is saying, I, I, there's dozens and dozens of young people who saw themselves as no cop academy and as this like robust, powerful thing <laughs> that um, that exposed right all of the contradictions of what the city says it does versus what it actually does. And to me, like it's like it's not quantifiable, but that in and of itself is like the, the, the win that makes it so that I can like sleep at night. And then there's the other wins of like, this became an electoral issue in a huge, huge way. And we, Rom's not in office anymore. I mean, he's, we can't claim that in its entirety, but certainly we were part of this guy not being able to rehabilitate his image post Laquan. Right. Um, we got into office, all these new aldermanic candidates. We now start from the jump with a slate of 10 aldermen who have backgrounds in community organizing, right? And I, I actually do believe part of why these elections were as contentious as they were, were partially it was the national political climate and partially it was because this campaign was so galvanizing for so many young people and even for some of the aldermanic candidates who decided to run. It was because of what they were seeing with this campaign. That's a win, right? Divesting from the police, right? We have economic justice groups that a few years ago wouldn't really touch the idea of reducing police spending. That was controversial and scary. From the jump now, that's that's actually common sense to more and more people. Um, and that, that that's part of how we're going to be able to invest in the kind of social programs we need. Like, there have been so many wins and we have to be real that, like, it, there are also losses. That organizing most of the time is actually losing. Like, we lose more campaigns than we win. We've talked, Paige and I, about how we have this skewed sense sometimes of what's possible because we came into our own politically in this moment of a huge opening in the movement for Black Lives. When, you know, we won reparations here in Chicago, we, we like... We, Dante didn't get fired, but he resigned. He's not in, the the police officer who killed Rakia Boyd, right? Like there were win, partial win after partial win after partial win in this way. That's like that's not actually how it is most of the time. And like we built a robust ass campaign, and it's still at the end of the day, in the final vote, it was like thirty six to eight, right? And that eight was like beautiful, and and like incredible because when we started it was 48 to 1 right and that that growth took blood sweat and tears actually literally like police did like assault some of our young people who bled as a result of like this you know their their willingness to put themselves out there and fight for this the day of the votes actually and I, and I just think that that's important to acknowledge that even with all the power we built still the power structure is as big as it is if you could talk just a little bit, bit about where queers fit into a black radical tradition and where queers fit into an abolitionist framework, I think that would be fantastic. 
they fit into the tradition both in terms of like actual people right they're like bayard reston right audrey lord like they're, they're a part of um of the tradition as individuals right as as people as uh, both that we know of and that we don't right um kambahi right uh so yeah there's that and that we cannot understand the history of how black people got free unless we if if we refuse to see the ways that black queer people and black trans people participated or not to, that not that we're free right now but yeah the ways that we have fought for liberation and at, when I think about a queer politic and the words abolition, I have a – sometimes I mean a different thing than what I'm hearing other people talking about. So I think that – it is not that every black person is queer, right, of course. Um, I think that it, it does mean a specific identity, right? And I think that anti-blackness has t- – targets, right, black sexuality and the ability of black people to create family, right? Um, that has been a site of tar- – right, because those are those are parts of what, like – are make us human and thus anti-blackness being a like unhumanizing right of people um of course those are things that that come under attack and that black people historically have always been denied whether through slavery right or or through the prisons and the foster system and all the various ways that that institutions seek to to oppress us um our sexuality and our ability to create our desired family structures has been deemed impossible right or or we has been denied um we cannot con- and that's a part of what it means to be black right is is that natal alienation not being able to control your access to your lineage to your path to your lineage where you come from or or what happens to your descendants and that is true for black people now and absolutely was true for enslaved people and so i think that black that black the black radical tradition is a queer project in a lot of ways because it seeks to um, assert our right to define our own sexuality and our how we make families and how we love and who we love, right? Um, and that doesn't mean, right, that doesn't mean that, like, every black person gets to be out here now, like, doing whatever. I, like, Dave Chappelle just got, got in trouble for something. Like, he doesn't get to use certain words, right, um, as a straight man. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so I think that is a part of, uh, that's a site of our struggle, right? Um, absolutely. And when I talk about abolition, and I think there's there's so much more to say there. I feel like uh, uncomfortable with like how little I'm saying and how little I'm supporting my argument. But also that um, in terms of abolition, I think it's this question of like, well, what are we seeking to actually abolish? Because I know... At the point of hearing the word abolition, when I was like, oh, yeah, knowing what the prison industrial complex was, once I understood what that word was and on some level and hearing this word abolition, that word made me uncomfortable because it reminded me of slavery. And I was like, don't I don't want you to call me a slave. Right. So that but that um, and now that, yeah, that's not where I'm at. But um, I, I bring that up because I think a lot of times. Right. Most folks, when they say they're an abolitionist, myself included, half of the time, at least I'm saying of the PIC. Right. But there is this clear connection to slavery. Right. In that word, Um, even though there are many you can abolish lots of things and we have abolished many things. But uh, there is a tie there. Um, And I feel it viscerally. Um, And I think that's actually that connection is important and not something that we should suture, but that 
right? We've abolished, we abolished slavery, but clearly we didn't, what, we didn't end the right, that wasn't enough to do that, right? And if we abolish the PIC, is, do we actually think that's going to be enough, right? What we actually are seeking to abolish is anti-blackness, right? Is slavery, right, still, and the, the ways that it has evolved. And I think that that's, um, and that that is, again, if you can understand the black radical tradition and a part of that means like, the like anti-blackness is explicitly fucked up like right like, uh, like it, 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 it limits sexuality and expression and all these things it, it's it's gender is a site of anti-blackness anyways um so yeah i i think when we uh, when we talk about abolition um and how it connects to to queer politics that's one thing that i i think is is important for us when we're thinking big picture to look at but then there's been so many amazing books and and brilliant people that talk about um the queerness of abolition and that's just one thing i don't know if you want to say more yeah i mean i i think what jumped into mind for me when you asked that question is actually just that i feel like i've learned my queer politic because of abolitionists right that 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 i've i've learned about power and how to challenge power and also the the sites of of how power is concentrated um because of abolitionists out here um making the 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 connections uh around how how are these 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 structures and these systems of anti-blackness also um participating in the the policing and of of gender and sexuality um that that prisons are you know queer injustice right really goes deep into how prisons themselves are sites of sexual violence and gender-based violence and that they reproduce them police are out here literally enacting gender-based violence and sexual violence that prisons and police and and arguably surveillance as well right aren't just um that, that carceral ways of being are informed by the legacy of slavery and are in many ways like the 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 arms of the state right um and so as i'm as as i want to be an organizer and a person who's out here living um, and trying to like fight for folks to live their truest, queerest, most authentic selves, right? These sites of violence and, and undoing those are essential to like um, collective liberation. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that in the clearest way, but I just think I don't, I can't separate abolition from queerness. And it's, yeah, it's in part because so many, Brilliant abolitionists are themselves queer, but it's also because the project of maintaining, like, uh, patriarchy and heterosexism is all tied up in the projects of maintaining anti-blackness through policing and through incarceration and through e-carceration. And, um, and it's, it's been in learning that and then trying to find ways to disrupt and subvert that also that I've continued to identify with this work right i think in addition to the, the 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 campaign work that we've done and do and that i see as an important site of 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 building power there's also this question of like how do we make sure people survive in the immediate sense and that um they're like projects of mutual aid and prisoner support and solidarity projects and opening up your doors when people get out of prison so they have somewhere to sleep and that these that projects of mutual aid also there's a there's a there's a queerness to refusing to just stay in the the class categories that we've been um, sort of thrown into in our lives and and making sure that we're constantly leveraging resources and burning down 
false boundaries so that like more people can survive, right? Um, and that that so I, I I see most mutual aid projects actually as like really queer projects because we're we're refusing to stay in the boxes we're supposed to stay in and instead seeing that you no know, actually like my ability to live my fullest life is dependent on you, your ability to, to live yours. Those those are just some messy thoughts, but I I to me they're they're very inseparable and I feel like folks who don't identify as queer within abolitionist movements still in many ways operate through sort of a, a, a queer lens and politic. Um, and my final question, our final question, I should say, unless you have one, Jean, <laughs> um, is where do you want to see the work you're doing uh, when you hand it off to the next generation? Eons and eons from now. I always tell young folks in the slot, I'm like, one day y'all are going to look, you're going to be like, Paige, you are so wrong about everything and that I, I I expect to yeah be pushed yeah um I, I I hope that that what I what to me was so radical and so revolutionary is just like duh you know and um and that 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 disobedience and dissent is one of those things um I hope it's it's bigger and stronger and more thoughtful and more caring than yeah, than what I had. As someone who feels like I inherited a very generous community and incredible wealth of knowledge and beautiful things. Yeah. I hope that people just keep taking beautiful risks together. Because I think that, um, you know, there are no guarantees. And yes, we fall on our faces a lot. Um, and when I have grown the most is when I have risked the most um and that risks don't necessarily mean heckling an elected official all by yourself though it can and i encourage more people (laughs) to do that all the time because it usually is is more effective than you think it will be um taking a risk can also just be building a new relationship right i like every time someone goes to visit someone in prison that has never been in a prison before it, that's a shattering of a disconnection that was never supposed to happen, right? Um, and that it it takes so much collective risk taking to start to actually get through all the noise and see each other's full human potential. Um, and so I hope that I live and do this work and and am in community and, and in joint struggle with with other people in ways that that make. Um, make risk-taking feel more possible. And I hope it's not fitting on a t-shirt sold at Pride. Facts. <laughs> the answer now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Queering Left. The organizers interviewed represent just one example of the fearless movement building in Chicago that Crossroads Fund is proud to have supported since 1981. Please visit our website for photos, videos, and other media related to this episode. For more information on Crossroads Fund and the organizers featured in this interview, please follow Queering Left on Facebook and Twitter and sign up to receive email alerts of new interviews at our website, crossroadsfund.org.